You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Hi, my name is Nikki, and I'm a partner here at Mercy View. I'll be reading tonight from Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the Lord, I'm sorry, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nikki. Good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're visiting with us, as Trace said, we are honored that you've chosen to worship with us. I'd love to meet you after the service here up front. I'll be up here hanging out. Would love to say hello to you. As many of you know, uh, we have a few children around our home, uh, nine to be exact. And uh, as we have approached having each of those nine children Uh, Holly and I have had the conversation that if you're a parent here, you've had uh, as you get ready to have that baby, what are we going to name the baby? What are we going to name this child? And for whatever reason, one of the things that just sort of evolved over time for Holly and I, I don't really know how this happened, but uh, we decided that I would name the boys, Holly would name the girls. And so... um, uh, if you've wondered who named Cooper Cooper, that was me. That, that came from me. It's a name I always love. But uh, one thing that I need to also share with you, though, about their names, it's, it's kind of a confession, is that uh, a lot of people assume that because I'm in full-time vocational ministry and we're a ministry family, that like we really thought through the spiritual significance of their names. And I know there's some of you here that do that, and that's awesome, like, This is not a statement against that at all. The confession that I have is that we didn't do that at all. Um, We chose names that we liked um, and names that we thought like for the for for the boys were strong and were masculine and for the for the girls were sweet feminine. But here's what's interesting is uh, after the fact we began to look into what their names meant And we were shocked at how closely they described who they are and who we find that they're becoming. And so for the sake of time, I'm just going to do a few of them here, um, or we'll be here all night. But uh, uh, let's just, let me show you what I mean, all right? So so Cooper, our oldest, uh, Cooper's name actually means barrel maker. Now, you might go, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what is that? That could not describe more perfectly our son, Cooper, who just timing-wise just sat down here. That was really good, though. But he is one of the most creative people that I know. If you've ever seen anybody make a barrel, it ain't easy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of creativity. <laughs> it takes a lot of being industrious. Um, barrel maker, that, that works for, for us. Margot. her name means Pearl. And if you know anything about how pearls are formed, they're kind of formed in their own world, right? You know, um, that describes Margot in a lot of ways. She's, she's uh, 
she's introverted. I am too. Like we, we enjoy our time and our space and the Lord does work there. And, and of course, what are pearls also? They're like beautiful, you know, and, and Margot's so beautiful. Sloan, her name means warrior. And, uh, again, couldn't be more perfect. She is, uh, a, a passionate, and and fierce liver of a liver of life like uh, she loves fiercely she talks fiercely she argues fiercely like <laughs> she is a warrior and then let's just do one more everett also interesting his name means wild boar now what also his name means if you know what a wild boar is like they're just on the go they're, they're, they never stop, but they're strong animals, and, and Everett's our little athlete in the, in the family, and so um, that just couldn't be more true of him. So what's in a name? Uh, if you're familiar with Shakespeare, you know that in his uh, most famous story, Romeo and Juliet, he asks that question. And actually, when he asks it, he asks it in such a way as if to say that Names are irrelevant. But is O Billy Shakespeare right? Because I think it's possible that as we think about names and whether they matter or not, that they just might. In fact, one of the privileges I have in, in life, just it's a, a blast for me, is I get to coach um, Everett in his sports. And um, one of the things that I heard from the very beginning of this organization we're a part of was from some other coaches say to the players, it was really a question, it was like, what is on the back of your jersey? And the kids would answer, my last name. And the coaches would say, yeah, you represent your family when you step out onto a field or to a court. Second question was, what's, uh, what's on the front of your jersey? It's the name of the organization. And they say, yeah. You represent that organization when you step out here. The name of our organization is represented by you when you come out and compete. And then the third question was ultimately because this is a, has a, a Christian foundation kind of as this, as a part of this um, sports organization. They said, ultimately, who are you representing? Whose name are you representing? And it's God. Even in that example, I think you can begin to see that I lean towards names meaning things, mattering. So as we attempt to not to answer that question, what's in a name, I want to invite you to see two things. And first is this, our affections and words reveal our worship of God's name. And second, our hypocrisy may reveal our disbelief in God's name. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this evening, um, we are trusting that what you even say about your word, that it does not in the next few moments. As we look here at Exodus 20, we are praying with expectancy that you would speak to us, that you would uh, minister to us, that you would change us here on the spot because of your gospel and its beauty its majesty. Lord, we want to wrestle tonight with your name, like what your name means and why it matters in our lives. So help us as we do that. We give this time to you and pray this in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. So, if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Exodus 20. We're going to be in one verse tonight, just verse 7. Um, we're going to be camping out here. So, if you remember, two weeks ago, we looked at the first commandment, which said that there should be one object of your heart's worship, and that is God and Him alone. Another way we could say that is that the first commandment deals with the who of worship. Then last week, Ryan had us look at the second commandment, which says that our hearts are functioning properly when they give that God the worship that he alone deserves. And in that passage, we saw that God is jealous for our worship. And verse 2, again, is, it speaks of a zeal for his creatures flourishing. Another way to say it is that the second commandment deals with the how of worship. In a lot of ways, as we come back to the third commandment tonight, we're moving back a little bit towards the who, but um, you might start to feel like you can take your foot off the pedal a little bit because surely the first two commandments are so important and really influence all the others. We're coming to this one that just sort of like it says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Pastor and author Kevin DeYoung says that as we come to this third commandment, we may come to it less like a bedrock principle and more like a good reminder. But is it just that? After all, the third commandment is one of the Ten Commandments. Of all the things that God could have prohibited, this is the third one. So it seems like this is really important to God. And I think it actually goes beyond just watching, as DeYoung says, our OMGs. In fact, I'm going to propose to you that this commandment is broader and far more important than you have perhaps ever imagined. So let's look at the first half of verse 7 together. This is what it says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So what is God prohibiting here? Are you just supposed to refrain from using God's name when you stub your toe? Or as many Orthodox Jews do to this day, not write the name or the title of God so that you can avoid tarnishing it. Well, the word vain here means empty or to no good purpose. So in short, we are, this, this commandment means, you and I are to treat the name of God with respect. We are not to take the name of God in a way that goes against the honor that is due to him. We are to speak his name in a way that is consistent with his holiness. Now, in what ways can we speak the Lord's name in vain? Well, the most obvious one is one that you're probably thinking that this is all, all or most of what this commandment means. And it's that we should not blaspheme or speak irreverently about God. And you would be right. That is part of what this means. When you make a declaration and swear by God's name, it cannot be a fabricated promise or one that you're not going to keep. 
And we see the support for this in places like Leviticus 19, Hosea 10, when it says we should not swear by God's name falsely. We should not do anything that would defile the name of God. But the third commandment also does not allow us to speak on God's behalf with anything that's false. False dreams, false uh, visions. Jeremiah 23 says that the prophecy of some of the prophets at that time were lies. They were deceiving people and they were doing it in God's name. We are forbidden to do that. So really, at the heart of this command is that God's name is not to be appealed to in any way unless we intend to be faithful to the commitment that we are giving our word to. So when God's name is taken up, and it could be with our hearts, by the way, not just our mouths, but wherever it's being taken up, it must be done with the desire to respect and to lift up the reputation of God. It must be done with reverence. To appeal to God with God's name in an unworthy manner calls into question God's character. And in turn, it defames him before the world. So like if you and I claim to be the people of God and then live as if we are not, friends, we are taking the name of the Lord in vain. So the question really for us as we look at the first part here of verse 7, this commandment is this, do we take the name of God into our thoughts and emotions and words and actions so that they aren't empty, so that they aren't pointless, so that they aren't wasted. I think Jesus helps us here in Matthew 15. He actually gives us a double answer to that question. You might remember this. He, he says, these people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus is talking about the issue of worship here. But what he is teaching here is that um, there is a way that you and I can do something that doesn't glorify God in our worship. And he says two things that can happen here. And these both, by the way, defame the the name of God. First, when Jesus says that people honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him, it means that though we may speak of God as the one that we are worshiping, if our hearts are far from him, that means that our hearts have been emptied of affection for him. We are not admiring him. We are not cherishing him. We are not treasuring his name. Or said another way, whatever you do with a heart that has been emptied of that reverence, you worship God in vain. Something else has your affection. It could be your wife, your children, your family, food, leisure, success, even ritual, uh, religious ritual and activity. If God isn't all of life for you, if he is not everything for you, you're breaking the first commandment, by the way. 
you're putting something before him, you're not honoring his name. But second, when Jesus says that we worship God teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, it means that our words about God, the name of God, has been emptied of God's truth. And in its place, we are putting in our own thoughts and our own opinions. In other words, to take the name of God in vain in this way is to take up some expression of God's reality into our thoughts and emotions or words or actions when the truth of God has gone out of them. Now, if you thought that the third commandment was just about cuss words, if you have ears to hear, God is saying that the elimination of that kind of the name of God, I mean, it's no less than that. But John Piper would say, you are graduating from the kindergarten of the school of Christ. God is calling us, as we look at the third commandment, to so much more here. He wants you to fill your words with the weight of God's truth and to fill your hearts with affection for his name. Don't miss that. Here's the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. Your worship of God is revealed in your affections and your words. Now, look with me, if you would, at the second half of verse 7. Here's what it says again. It says, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, if we haven't grabbed this yet, God wants to make it clear here that he takes his name seriously. And don't gloss over this because the third commandment tells us, listen, that God will judge those who are ultimately hypocritical in the use of his name. Like if we take up his name but we do not take up the reality of it. If we profess his name, but we do not live in line with that profession, if we uh, take uh, up the name of Jesus in a way that our life does not reflect that reality, we have taken his name in vain. God ultimately will not allow his name to be misused. And for those who take up that name and yet never actually embrace his lordship, we have a warning here. There remains a final judgment because of those who have taken up his name in vain. Here's the second thing I want to invite you to see this evening. Our hypocrisy may reveal our disbelief in God's name. One of the things that I think happens viscerally to us when we hear these kinds of words in the scriptures is that we begin to question some things about God. What I mean is we go like, God, aren't you a God of love? Aren't you a God of mercy? God of, of grace? We think, God, why the strong language, right? Well, to understand what God is doing here, we have to understand the purpose generally of what are called the warning passages in the Bible. This commandment, what's in the third commandment here, isn't necessarily what's 
traditionally known as a warning passage, but to me, it, it, because it is a warning, I think the spirit of it is so, somewhat like, it's the, very similar to what we see in other parts in the scriptures. The warning passages in the Bible are to help us do something. It is to help us confront our own hearts. And really what happens is it's confronting the hearts of two different kind of groups of people. First, it's confronting the true and the genuine believer. Like, if in being warned, the Christian with integrity can say, I desire my life does match the God that I worship, his name, the purpose of the warning passages are to bring you assurance, to bring you a sense of of peace and of security in your relationship with God. You can know that you know that you are a child of God. doesn't mean you don't wrestle with that or that it's not hard, but it's meant to bring assurance to you if you're a Christian. But there is another category that the warning passages or a warning in Scripture is meant to confront it. It is those who have a false or counterfeit belief in God. Or said it this way, the the warning is meant to be for those people a, a grace from God to repent and turn from that way of thinking, that way of living, to avoid God's judgment and though experience His mercy and His grace and joy and peace right now, in the here and now and for eternity. So the question for you is which one are you? Does the warning here bring assurance to you or conviction? Let's close up here tonight. Would we take the name of the Lord in vain, and we all have, we deserve punishment. That's what the third commandment says. The good news of the gospel, though, says that Jesus comes as the Lord that we have taken the name uh, in vain of. And he goes to the cross and he substitutes himself and suffers and dies in our place for our sins so that for people like you and me who have disobeyed the first commandment, we have false gods, We've disobeyed the second commandment. We've worshipped other things other than God. We've disobeyed the third commandment. We've taken the Lord's name in vain with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions. And as we're going to find as we continue to move through the rest of these commandments, we've disobeyed all of those. He goes to the cross. And he humbles himself. And the one who was without sin dies in our place for our sins and says, Father, forgive them for not obeying the Ten Commandments. That's who Jesus is. That's what Philippians 4 says. Philippians 4 is one of the most well-known passages in all of the Scripture. We're going to look at it real quickly again. This is that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So what did he do? It says that he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in that form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But I want you to notice what happens after that. That's the passage that we tend to focus on. It's a great passage for us to remember as we're thinking about 
how to be more humble in our lives, how to be more servant-hearted in our lives. It's, it's an amazing passage. It's a little gospel nugget that we should just memorize because it's, it's something we need to rehearse so we can preach the gospel to ourselves. But notice what it says is the result of all of this, beginning in verse 9. Just let me read it for you. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And so that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, this humble, servant-hearted, obedient Jesus is in heaven right now And he is ruling and he is reigning as king of kings and lord of lords. And in a sense, he is no longer in humility. That's not to say he's not humble. But what what I want you to see is what's happening here is he's in glory. And what has been bestowed to this Jesus is that his name now is above every name. That's the third commandment. In Philippians 3, right there. If Jesus' name is the name that is above every name, it means that his name is ultimate. His name is supreme. His name is the greatest. And what happens at that name? Every knee bow. Do you know what this looks like in your life? I know in my life, it's asking the question, am I fully surrendered to Jesus? In every aspect of my life, um, am I submitted to the Spirit, to listening to the Spirit, to obeying the Spirit in my life? A guilty criminal takes that position, right? A surrendered soldier takes that position. A humble servant should take that position. It means to bend the knee. That's what submission is. That's what service is. It means being teachable. Being humble, being repentant, accountable, knowing that it's not about you. Whenever we say that it's not about you, what what are we saying? We're saying it's not about my name. It's about his. And here we get to probably the thing that gets in the way of the third commandment most. You. So... What do we do when we meet someone new? What do we always start with? Hi, my name is blank, right? We want people to know our name. And and that isn't necessarily bad in and of itself, but then we typically let people know what we do or we're asked what we do, and and I'm guilty of that. One of the biggest places we want to let people know about us is online, right? Look at all the places I go, the things I'm eating, the people I know, the bands I listen to, the books I read. What are we doing there? If we're not careful, we're wanting our name to be what's most important to someone else. We are saying, pay attention to me, to my hurts, my wants, my needs, my dreams, how I feel, what I've done, where I've been. What's true about all of that? Well, if we aren't careful, our name overtly or or maybe suddenly over time becomes more important than God's in your life. And friends, we are swimming upstream 
in a world that is addicted to the self. Self-worship, self-actualization, self-glory, self-help. We are not looking to the name of God to bring us satisfaction and pleasure. Friends, I'm preaching this to my heart tonight too, but our name, our name, your name, is not the most important name. Actually, tonight Jesus is inviting us, he's imparting to us his name. He's sharing with us his name. The name that he knows brings real salvation and real redemption and rescue. Here's the question that we need to ponder tonight. Whose name are you bending a knee to? Because the the thing that's happening here in in verse 7 actually is not will you bow your knee, but to whom will you bow your knee? Because the question is, will you bow it now in worship to the name above all names, Jesus? Or will you bow it in the day of judgment when there won't be another opportunity for spiritual rescue? Like, will you bow it now for eternal life that you you can experience in the here and now and for eternity? Or will you bow it then for eternal condemnation? Everyone will bend their knee now or later because he is worthy. So, friend, he's given you a great opportunity to do that today for life and not death, for joy and not destruction. If you're here tonight and you would say, Brad, that is my story. I have not bowed my knee to Jesus. We are so glad that you're here tonight. We believe that this might be the day of your salvation. There's, there's no accidents in the kingdom of God. God may have brought you here tonight to hear this message. And so um, after our time of communion, after our service is over, again, I'll be up front here. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to do this. If you're a Christian here tonight, though, this is where you need to examine your heart and ask Jesus, how have I misspoken about you? In my words, in my actions, my thoughts. One of the ways that we proclaim the name of Jesus is what we're getting ready to do here in just a moment when we come around this table. Remembering Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. We are celebrating the name of Jesus. When you come forward and you take these elements, when you partake of the elements... Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, you are proclaiming Christ, proclaiming his name. You're celebrating that humble servant we just talked about. And as you partake of communion, you are getting to celebrate that. Jesus' broken body and blood saying, you know what? I am a violator of the third commandment. God should punish me. But praise God, Jesus took my place. God does not punish me because Jesus lovingly, humbly took my place and was punished for me. And then after we take communion, we're going to sing and we're going to sing the name of Jesus. I think in the very first song we sang tonight, we actually said those words. We, 
we said that the name of Jesus matters. And we're going to do that as we close here. The way that, one of the ways that you and I can overcome disobeying the third commandment is to sing the name of Jesus. To sing about how amazed we are to be in his presence. To join with those in heaven, as it says in Philippians, for exalting the name of Jesus and confessing the name of Jesus. So friends, let's do that. Let's eat. Let's sing. Making much of the name of Jesus because his name is above every name. Let's pray together.